From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus, and today I'm talking to Meredith Dillon, Executive Director of Front Porch Investments, an organization that works to increase access to affordable housing in the Omaha metro. Omaha, which had formerly been known for its you know, affordability in terms of housing, is quickly becoming unaffordable. Uh, actually, there was some recent data that in 2022, Omaha is number four city in the increase in rents across the nation. So again, we're kind of quickly losing that affordability that we've been known for and seeing seeing people have a need to get organized and and want to do something about the problem. Stay tuned for our conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. Today, I'm talking with Meredith Dillon. Dillon is the executive director of Front Porch Investments, which was founded in 2021 to work toward affordable housing solutions here in Omaha. Dillon talks about how housing injustice shapes the city, how systemic racism has played a role, and how we can curb its effects. She also shares her vision for a brighter future for Omaha with safe housing for all. Here is my conversation with Meredith Dillon. Tell us a little bit, uh, give us an intro to Front Porch Investments and then maybe what some of those challenges were that you learned from working for the city and how you're addressing those with Front Porch. Sure. So ultimately, Front Porch Investments was created as a response to an assessment of affordable housing that was published in 2021. It was a, an assessment that nine local philanthropic agencies uh, set out to um, invest in because they were looking for uh, ways that they could strategically make investments in affordable housing. They were hearing from all of their grantees from many different sectors that housing was the greatest challenge to serving their clients or the the folks that they were working with. And so um, Front Porch was launched really as a response to that assessment to be able to carry forth the initiatives and the goals that were identified in the assessment. Um, one of the things we also learned is we have a huge housing needs gap. So we, you know, we uncovered this 80,000 unit need uh, or shortage in Omaha. Oh, wow. Uh, in the greater Omaha area, I should say. It was Douglas County, Sarby County, and the city of Council Bluffs that was included in the study area. And so we looked at what's currently needed, what's going to be needed over the next 20 years, who are the players what are some potential solutions to trying to address that gap? And Front Porch was created to move forward th- with those initiatives and goals because we knew we, we couldn't put it in someone else's lap, right? There, was, there were some big lifts. Um, and Front Porch, you know, the purpose of the organization is really to increase investments, increase innovation, and strategic partnership across the greater Omaha area in terms of the affordable housing ecosystem. Yeah, I feel like from what I've seen is that you're really pulling together maybe these entities that have previously not worked together and figuring out how do we use all of our strategies and strengths to push this affordable housing um, effort forward. Absolutely. As well as that public-private partnership piece, right? So we saw that there were a lot of opportunities, there were a lot of resources available, but not everyone was necessarily talking to one another. So one of the things that we do is help to collaborate, right? Bring folks to the table. Some of that was already happening. And so uh, with the folks that were already working in that space, it's just coming in and providing support and being able to, again, increase that investment and innovation in the space so that we can address that housing challenge. 
I want to kind of dig into what the realities are in Omaha um, in regards to the housing crisis and how have you kind of seen it change over the last year that you have uh, been Front Porch Investments? Yeah, so we've been around for almost a year and a half now. Um, I will say things have been moving and changing since at least our inception and and prior to our launch. Uh, A lot more people are talking about affordable housing, which is a good sign, right? Um, We're recognizing that affordable housing is something that everyone needs. It's, you know, I think there's been a lot of stigma in the past about affordable housing and what that means. And it's been really great to see elected officials, um, you know, corporate partners, all, all these different sectors really coming to the table and saying, yes, this is a need and we need to prioritize it as a community. And then we need to have goals and strategies to move forward together. So I think that has changed quite a bit, although we have a long way to go, right? We're still working. Um, I think there is more investment because of the conversation and understanding that Omaha, which had formerly been known for its you know, affordability in terms of housing, is quickly becoming unaffordable. Uh, actually, there was some recent data that in 2022, Omaha was number four city in the increase in rents across the nation. So again, we're kind of quickly losing that affordability that we've been known for and seeing seeing people have a need to get organized and and want to do something about the problem. And that was in 2022? Yeah, it, it was some data from apartments.com, right? But it's looking specifically at renters and number four we were number four in terms of cities that are experiencing that uh, incre- highest increases in rent. Wow. And then when you look at people who are trying to save up money to purchase mm-hmm. a home and then the rent goes up. Yes. Oh, my goodness. All the all the um, ripple effects that has. Yeah. Not to mention the market just being really intense, uh, being such a challenge to to find a home to purchase. And now with rising interest rates uh, for mortgages, that that challenge remains. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about the key players you're talking about here when you're working together. How do you even get all of those key players to have the same strategy, working towards the same goals? I can imagine the more people you add, the harder that gets. (laughs) Sure. Um, Well, again, I'll say that there were several nonprofits that were focused on affordable housing that have been doing this work for some time. So again, we're we aren't coming into the space um, without a lot of people who have already been at the tables trying to work together. Um, there, I think, has been in the past a more siloed response uh, between housing and, and nonprofit housing developers and folks that are serving in homeless services system or pro- providing that direct support um, to folks experiencing homelessness. And so there, I think we're seeing bringing those two issues together, the homelessness prevention work and affordable housing work has been a, uh, an important connection to make. And that's definitely happening. One of the other things that Front Porch Investments has been able to provide is funding that's available in the form of low interest loans to for-profit developers. Okay, tell us a little bit more about that. What, is, what does that look like? So through our Development and Preservation Fund, we offer low-interest loans to both nonprofit and for-profit housing developers. And we also offer grants to housing-supportive nonprofits. But that, that low-interest loan, at the beginning of projects especially, really takes on some of that risk that a traditional financial institution like a bank might not be willing to take. And so that allows for more projects 
to get up and moving and uh, hopefully accelerates the pace of affordable housing in general, which lowers housing costs. But in the past, um, you know, people haven't necessarily considered for-profit developers as a focus point. And it's really important to understand that uh, the for-profit developers in our state are actually producing more housing than nonprofit developers at this, just because of the size and scope and how many more for-profit developers there are. So it's our goal to continue to support them so that we can have affordable housing across our community. So let's let's take a few steps back quick, and I want to talk about what you guys use as the working definition for affordable housing, because it seems like a broad term. Some people, like you said, there's some stigma around it. So how do you guys um, define that and uh, for yourselves in your goals and strategy? Well, it's interesting. I think a lot of people um, think that there's still this question of what is affordable housing? I'll say that there is a federal definition of affordable housing. HUD's definition is that a household, so whether that's an individual or a family or a group of individuals, that they're not paying more than 30% of their income, that household income, to rent or mortgage. And that's supposed to also include utilities. So when we think about that 30% threshold towards your, your cost of living, that's really how we define affordable housing. One of the challenges is that my household income and your household income are different, right? Or my neighbor's household income is different than mine. So how we address the problem is really where there's more nuance. So it's not a one-size-fits-all solution to affordable housing because it really is based on household income. And, And again, I think it's important to note that we all need affordable housing. Affordable housing, you know, again, it's it has often been stigmatized for low income families or Uh, which everyone, everyone needs affordable housing. Low-income families also need affordable housing. But uh, it's important to note that affordability is not something that's only for one socioeconomic branch. On the subject of language, uh, this year you guys are also planning to launch the Housing Narrative Lab. Yes. So why is language, first of all, so important when talking about housing? Yeah, so we've recently launched a fundraising campaign for our Housing Matters uh, campaign. We're partnering with a national organization called the Housing Narrative Lab. We believe that words matter and they matter just as much as the way we fund things, right, or the way we invest in affordable housing. We believe that because we know that the way we talk about housing actually has an impact on our actions. So the decisions Mm. we make around policy, the way we treat our neighbor, um, what we advocate for. And so the language we use and how we talk about housing is is crucial. Can you give us a quick housing one-on-one lesson on the appropriate language? Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, for us, it's, again, it's that human-centered, people-first focused language. So using the term people experiencing homelessness rather than homeless people. Um, again, when we talk about affordable housing, uh, who, were, who needs affordable housing? Everyone. Those are some of the really simple lifts that we can all make um, when we are discussing affordable housing. But if uh, listeners are interested in a lot of detail, we do have a glossary available uh, on our website at frontporchinvestments.org that has some of the other terms like area median income and what, you know, what that means and some of the other uh, acronyms that often are associated with housing. Shout out to Naomi Hathaway for uh, including a glossary on our website. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to Meredith Dillon, Executive Director of Front Porch Investments, about affordable housing solutions in Omaha. 
join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. So when I was on your website, I was interested in the term housing ecosystem. I work in the startup uh, world, and so we always talk about the entrepreneurial ecosystem and mm-hmm. how to make that uh, work in the startup world. And so I was curious um, to hear more about what that means for you in the housing world of working together through that ecosystem and how you're ensuring that within the ecosystem, people are things are really working together. Yeah. So again, uh, the ho- we have a housing ecosystem map on our website at frontporchinvestments.org. So I'll make another plug. But I think housing is such a complex issue um, that it's hard, right, in a soundbite to say, like, this is what the problem is. And depending on who you're talking to or who you're advocating on behalf of, again, a, a nuanced challenge deserves a, a nuanced solution. So the housing ecosystem really allows us to see how all of the parts play together. And I could give you an example. Um, you know, currently there's a there's a lot of discussion around the impact of health and housing. We talk a lot about social determinants of health uh, in our work and and how where we live impacts all these other pieces of our lives. And so the housing ecosystem lets us see how those interplay with one another, and also helps us to identify who are the players in those different sectors of the ecosystem. And it also allows people to really identify how can I participate or where do I fit in, in being a part of the solution. Yeah, because there's parts of it in there, like advocacy, I saw one, is that Mm -hmm. correct as part of it, Mm -hmm. or developers. Yep. So there's really, it really seemed like there was kind of a space for, for everyone within that ecosystem. Yes, and you can take a journey on the website. And if you're a housing advocate and you want to learn more, you can go that direction. If you're a developer and you want to learn about funding opportunities, uh, a little bit of everything. And and again, it's because the way we're addressing these important needs and challenges, they, they overlap with one another. Let's talk a little bit more about that intersection of kind of what you just touched on. There's so many different moving parts and I imagine that when talking about housing, you also have to talk about transportation, mm-hmm. walkability, accessibility. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about what that looks like in your work of how do you make sure that you're being intersectional when addressing affordable housing? Yeah, again, uh, we work with a lot of partners. They reach out to us. We reach out to them. Um, as I mentioned, you know, health and housing is a big one right now. We also know there are a lot of people talking about the intersection of uh, transportation and housing uh, in our work. Some of the ways that plays out is in our development and preservation fund, when we are reviewing applications, we're looking at things like the distance to a pro- from a project you know, to a, a major transit uh, corridor or an employment center. And so again, jobs, housing, um, transit, all super important. Uh, so that we incorporate that into our kind of scoring matrix when we're looking at applications, but we are also working on a lot of different collaborative partnerships, some statewide and some here locally. So we're always willing to come to the table when we have advocates that are saying, hey, you know, our focus is on supporting seniors, but we're seeing this housing piece and please come to our meeting and share more. We'll be there. And, you know, we, we offer the same in terms of partnership when we're working on a larger project and we see those intersections and we're like, wow, we can't really solve this problem without um, 
you know, more opportunities for people to work in the construction arena or, you know, the diversification of developers and and so always working with different nonprofit partners like Spark or, you know, whether it's Heartland Workforce Solutions, all those different players, super important to our work as well. Yeah, I know you've been an expert in this for so long, but I'm curious if any of those partners who've reached out has surprised you that you hadn't thought of before. Yeah, I think, you know, again, employers coming onto the scene, that's been uh, an interesting, um, I think, and something I wouldn't have anticipated early on in my career because we weren't seeing a lot of interest. But uh, we know that statewide uh, affordable housing and, and the lack of affordable housing has been a huge economic barrier across uh, for the state of Nebraska in general, right? And so seeing employers come to the table, not only to support the, the folks working for them, but also, uh, you know, in order to be able to attract more people um, to come and, and come to Nebraska, we, we've seen a lot more employers at the table. We were able to, in our innovation, innovation round of funding uh, that happened last spring, spring of 2022, um, you know, we were able to fund a project that was Forever North uh, Real Estate, which was uh, connected to North End Teleservices and, you know, their new um, project, which is a new headquarters that includes affordable housing for employees. So that was uh, a great opportunity what? to see, again, that in- intersection of, yeah, like jobs and growth and community development and also affordable housing. Um, I also want to know a little bit more about your intentionality when you were starting Front Porch Investments. We t- kind of touched on this before. You said there was already some key players in the affordable housing community, um, but ra- and rather than stepping in and saying, we know what's best, I want to know about that kind of communication with those partners mm-hmm. and what needs that you were seeing weren't being met and then how you could help collaborate with those partners and move forward to address mm-hmm. those needs. Uh, again, you know, we were born out of the assessment and the goals that were identified and strategies. And three of the five um, main strategies identified as initiatives that could push us closer to uh, lowering the gap of the amount of households that were housing burdened um, were large scale funds, right? So one was a development fund, one was a preservation fund, and one was the green lining fund. And we combined the first two, the development and preservation fund, into one. And so there was a the real need for again, a, a someone at the table that could have uh, the ability to braid different types of funding, so from public, private, and corporate partners, and invest um, in a in a coordinated response, right? That is looking at the short term needs of the community and also looking at the long term goals that we have um, in housing our community and providing. Uh, really a sustainable path to investment. So our revolving loan fund, uh, we provide low interest loans, one and 2% interest to projects. It ranges from a three-year loan, you know, right now to eight, 18 years up to potentially in the near future, 25 years of funding that comes at a very low interest so that we can keep the costs down for um, renters or home buyers, but also that we're supporting these projects getting up and off the ground. And there really wasn't, um, we hadn't seen that, uh, at least at that scale in our community. So it was exciting to be able to come in and provide support for affordable housing development and for preservation. And with that comes, um, uh, again, a long-term commitment to affordability by those developers. So that was definitely an important piece as well as mixing that alongside of grants. So we know when we provide 
um, loans and grants in tandem, that makes for a stronger project for our nonprofit partners as well. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, so you you said uh, the term sustainable funding. Mm-hmm. Can you tell, tell me a little bit more about like what that looks like? How do you guys get investments and funding? Mm-hmm. And then you, you mentioned on the, the cyclical loans, mm-hmm. um, paying back with one to two percent. But is, tell me a little bit more about what that means sustainable sure. funding is. Yeah, so uh, it's a a sustainable model for funding because the low interest on the loans actually helps support the grants long term. Um, Okay. So the goal and the way we fund through our Development and Preservation Fund, about 80% goes out the door in loans and 20% goes out in grants. But again, those even those small um, 1% and 2% interests that help support our grant making long term. We're more of a funding intermediary, so we're constantly writing grants and and asking for funding at the same time as we are also allocating funding. So we're in the middle and we hope to help, um, you know, again, whether it's a foundation or a corporation or a banking partner to make an investment um, to an affordable housing development that has gone through a thorough review and underwriting process for in terms of a loan that infrastructure that's needed for that, but also working more closely with the community so that we are aware of the urgent needs and then, again, those long-term needs. So uh, that that model is really meant to sustain the, the funds that we receive. So going out as loans, coming back in in payments, using that interest to support our grant making in the long term. That is, that's really incredible. Did you get that model from somewhere? Where did that kind of come from? <laughs> Well, again, um, the assessment gave us some hints on on how we can move forward on initiatives. We personally haven't seen uh, a loan fund that was exactly has has been stacked in the same way ours is that is also doing grant making at the same time at quite the scale that we are aiming to get to. So we're not we're not to our goal yet, um, but we are still fundraising for that effort. And I, I will say it is unique to us in some way in the Omaha area because it allows us to do both and it, and again prioritizes a sustainable investment. There are a couple other loan funds across the country. I'm sure more popping up by the day because this affordable housing need is is definitely nationwide. Okay, well while we're on the topic of funding, mm-hmm. you guys said you're in the in the process right now of fundraising. Can people like us help oh, you? Yes, you can. Um, we launched a community fundraising effort again for our Housing Matters narrative campaign and we're asking folks, you know, to contribute $5, $10, $15, whatever you can to again supporting the important work of how we all talk about housing. We are launching an in-depth research project to really poll and and find out, um, do some listening sessions. What do do the different um, kind of specialized groups and across different parts geographically of our community, how do people think and talk about housing? And how do we find that uh, place where we all have this shared value of we we believe all of our neighbors deserve a home, right? We all deserve a safe place to live. We will all benefit as a community when people have safe, affordable housing. So we're, we're asking the community to come to the table and be a part of that with us because we feel like this is a community effort and a community challenge and a community-focused solution. We say every day at Front Porch, we absolutely don't know everything, but we're committed to learning um, and we're committed to, to, again, moving forward, right? What are some of the most common misconceptions about f- affordable housing that you've kind of seen in Omaha? 
Well, we've covered one of them already, but I'm going to I'm going to say it again. Who needs it? You know, we all need affordable housing. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, folks were surprised about from the assessment, again, is the sheer number of people who are paying more than 30 percent. So we have about 20,000 dedicated units in uh, the greater Omaha area. And there were almost 100,000 households that really needed those dedicated affordable units. So about 80,000 households paying more than 30%. And that's projected to grow to 104,000 by 2040. So then it begs the question, right? Like, what's happening? Why aren't we producing enough housing? Why isn't it affordable? I think that's one of the other misconceptions is the cost of housing and really to deliver affordable housing. So to bring it to market, whether that's for sale or for rent at that 30% marker um, with the cost of labor and the cost of materials, we're, we're looking at folks that are making kind of more than average, so more than the area median income. Those homes require a subsidy to put them on the market at 30% or less of, uh, again, an average income. And, and again, Part of that is also connected to wages, right? So we have a $9 minimum hour wage. Good job, Nebraska, voting to to increase that. But we know that the housing wage is almost $20 an hour. So even if you have right now, let's say you you live in a household where two adults are working a minimum wage job full time, you're not hitting a housing wage. So that's something that, you know, I'm glad to see the voters have addressed, but we have to keep working towards uh, higher wages because that gap between really what the cost to produce housing is and what people are making is significant. And so um, that's, again, another reason it's important to destigmatize affordable housing because we are expecting too much of many folks to think that you wouldn't experience some kind of housing instability uh, based on the, the difference between a housing wage and our current minimum wage. Thank you. Thank you Mm -hmm. for recovering that because I think it's something that we all need to be reminded of Mm -hmm. in our community when we see folks who don't have homes and, you know, the the stigma around, well, get a job Mm -hmm. and and all of that. I think it's important just to remember that there's a lot that goes into Mm -hmm. getting a job, getting housing Mm -hmm. and addressing mental health that might be out there. And and folks who have jobs are still housing unstable. I mean, uh, statistically, in terms of a national statistic, one out of every four people is a paycheck away from losing their housing. And that's easily said in our community. Um, And I know there have been many decades of my life where I've experienced that as well. So, like, we have to stop, again, thinking about and stigmatizing, I should say, affordable housing and realize we all need support. We all need affordable housing. I'm talking with Meredith Dillon of Front Porch Investments, which was founded in 2021 to seek and support solutions to the housing crisis locally. Stay tuned for the rest of our conversation after this break. We have a lot of hours of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events, and we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. To make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for, the reason why you subscribed in the first place, to hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics, whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford, and really whatever you think the show is worth, which may be a zero, in which case 
Ouch, but okay. If you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more more importantly, thank you for listening. Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. You can subscribe or hear previous episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite platform is. My guest is Meredith Dillon of Front Porch Investments, which was founded in 2021 to seek and support local solutions to the housing crisis. Here is the rest of our conversation. I want to talk a little bit about past policies and the systemic racism and how it plays into current housing crisis. I know the Union for Contemporary Art did a wonderful exhibit a few years back. Um, maybe not even a few years back. It was up for a while. It, it was a few years back. And right now, something you might not know is it's also now at UNO. Oh. So the Undesigned the Red Line exhibit has yes. moved over. Um, it's part of a service learning academy work that is is over in the Community Engagement Center. So definitely oh my check gosh. that out. Go check it out. I'm going to ask you to kind of give us a summary of the exhibit about what redlining is, how it affected Omaha. I know that's kind of a big ask. Just a, just a sound bite <laughs> just about a, redlining. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, um, it could be an hour, two hours. Sure. The whole thing. <laughs> uh, uh, again, please know that I'll miss something. Um, and this is a really abbreviated version. But in 1933, there was a federally that they created something called the Homeowners Loan Corporation. And essentially, it allowed for insurance companies to draw maps that designated areas for safe investment or good investment versus areas that were unsafe and were not to be invested in, that were risky loans. And those maps were drawn based on a racial and ethnic uh, demographics. So no no mincing words there. It was institutional racism at its highest level. It allowed for, again, banks and insurance companies to be able to provide mortgages to, in some areas and not in others. Uh, we still had segregated neighborhoods, so there was still covenants in place and a lot of practices of real estate that didn't allow people who are considered non-white to live in certain parts of the community, and those parts of the community were the places where you could get a mortgage or you could get a business loan. In areas that were segregated where non-white families lived, you could not get a mortgage. You could not get a business loan, and there were not public investments being made. We don't often think about that. It's like public parks, other public spaces that were also disinvested in. And so that history, that lasted until 1967, In 1968, technically, the Fair Housing Act was passed and those things were supposed to end, and we know that they didn't. We saw, again, not only in the real estate industry, but also in city planning practices, that there were still questionable decisions that were being made, were racially driven and motivated. And things like, again, 75 North as an example of a highway here in our community that divided neighborhoods, that caused... uh, people to be displaced, but also cause disinvestment and lack of amenities and services and really created just a vast number of issues in the community. Um, did I answer your question? Yes, <laughs> I, think I, well, a, I wanted to make sure we, we covered that a little bit before we get into your next project, sure. which is launching a green lining fund. Yes. And so tell me about what that what that means for you guys in our community. Sure. So, uh, again, this was another uh, initiative that was identified in the assessment. Um, We know that the practices of redlining, we still see uh, results from those 
practices today here in our community. So if you look at a map, this is one of the things I, I learned while in city planning and while we were looking at access to opportunity. When you look at a former redlining map um, from Omaha in 1933 and our current um, map of where we have the greatest environmental challenges, where we still have the highest poverty neighborhoods, where we still have uh, a majority neighborhoods made up of folks that are non-white and we look at again the social determinants of health like um, visits to the emergency room cases of asthma covid covid all these things right that those same areas you could literally put those on top of the redlining map from 1933 and we also know that um, when we look at home ownership rates in those communities they're significantly less when we look at statistics about um who has home ownership in our community? About sixty-eight percent of white families own their home in our community. It's closer to about thirty percent um, for non-white families in our community. So we see that impact of redlining still here today. So the greenlining fund is meant to be intentional reinvestment in formerly disinvested communities. Uh, we don't have uh, the answers to how we could put, like possibly even scratch the surface of the loss that redlining, um, you know, led to, but we can start to intentionally reinvest. So our focus is really on home ownership and increasing rates of home ownership for non-white families, as well as home buyer support. So making sure we are supporting folks that are, are already homeowners in those areas, so that they aren't displaced. As we see again, you know, millions of dollars coming in to areas like North and South Omaha right now. We we have to make sure that. Um, we're supporting the people who are already there, right? And that they're not displaced by investment. So we're excited that we have recently, we have an inaugural group of our community advisory committee and that they will be leading in how investments are made from the Greenlining Fund. And we're really supporting those efforts and bringing those um, forward for approval and and making uh, those programs and, and the parameters for those uh, based on, on our community advisory committee. So it's exciting work and we don't, Again, we're, we're just starting that work with the Community Advisory Committee, so I'll be excited to see what really they lead us to and how we can support them. Yeah, how do you find people to be on that committee? Like, what kinds of people from are, are on the Community Advisory Committee? Our first group was really selected through our outreach through partners and our communications outlets. Again, Naomi Hadaway leads that work for us, and uh, we really made a push to find out who are... Uh, individuals that are interested based on how they've been impacted by redlining and how um, they're still impacted today and why do they want to participate in being kind of part of the solution. And then this inaugural group will actually select the next committee. So we're excited again, um, but we've got some time and and just got started in November and looking forward to, to launching the fund in 2023. Explain to me a little bit more about what the goals of this committee are in addressing green lining. Like, like you said, we can barely scratch the surface, but how do you even start? Where do you even start with that? Right. So we're, again, starting with home buyer and homeowner supports. So bringing in ideas from other cities, other programs, um, providing education. We also took a scan of what currently exists in the community. Is it being utilized or not? Maybe why? Are there resources that we can tap into and actually just get the word out about instead of creating new resources? Looking at things like property tax relief and 
um, how other communities are addressing uh, those rises in valuation when investment is made into formerly disinvested communities. So really education, bringing in new ideas, and then letting the community advisory committee make decisions on what works for Omaha based on what we see in other places and create those parameters for that those programs. So home ownership and home buyer supports will be the first piece at minimum looking at some property tax relief um, policy, getting more data around those things, doing that digging in and really trying to understand our community need. And then hopefully in the future, you know, we anticipate also looking at that public space funding and being able to provide some support um, so that we are addressing all those different pieces. When you're doing this research Mm -hmm. and you're seeing, okay, this policy hasn't worked in the past, maybe here's a way to write better policy. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing buy-in from people who are currently holding elective office? Do you get, are you able to effectively communicate with them? I guess I'm curious if our elected officials are buying into what the research shows and what needs to be addressed. Yeah. So again, when we released the assessment, we were able to speak with several um, elected officials at both a local level and a state level. Uh, We've been really encouraged to see things like the Housing Affordability Action Plan passed, Um, you know, not without discussion, but but there was a lot of support and education and uh, work from partners that went into making sure we have a at least a plan. And now we got to We have to implement it. but then there's also work going on at state at the state level. There's a statewide housing strategy and a needs assessment that's available on the NIFA website. So that's brand new and was released in December. And we're seeing similar goals and strategies. So I think uh, we all, we're also seeing a lot of uh, elected officials at the state level that are interested in learning more. So we just actually held a, a little education forum in partnership with other folks to bring the needs assessment information to state senators. There's definitely an interest because, again, you know, across the entire state, this need is really surfacing. I'm curious how the housing in Omaha differs from the housing in rural Nebraska. So I'm not an expert of rural Nebraska. That's I'll, okay. I'll note that first. I have been working um, in tandem with some folks that do develop in the more rural parts of our state. And one of the challenges, um, you know, that they have is just getting developers to come there, right? So you think about the, the already the cost of labor and materials here, um, where we have development going on at a different scale. Imagine that the costs, we're hearing things like it's about 20% higher per unit to develop in rural Nebraska because of the lack of Uh, labor and um, the materials and not producing at that scale. So that's just one challenge that I I can say with confidence that they're facing in rural Nebraska. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to Meredith Dillon, Executive Director of Front Porch Investments about affordable housing solutions in Omaha. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can call in with a brief voicemail to 402 881 0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. So there seems to be just a lot of different heavy lifts that your team is tackling and has been for the last year and a half. What's been the most challenging aspect of the work so far? I'll say the, again, the complexity of the problem and the breadth of our work, right? So we have uh, four pillars of our work that we focus on. Uh, 
affordable housing, uh, both the development and investment in affordable housing, um, but then housing justice and racial equity. And we're really on an exploration of what does housing justice mean um, and what does that look like in our community? Uh, and then we have advocacy, uh, which is a, a, you know, a whole nother uh, giant <laughs> arena to play in. And then thinking about ending homelessness or homelessness prevention. Um, and so it's a, it, we have a team of four right now <laughs> and that's a really huge uh, goal to tackle um, in addressing those different pieces and parts. I think it continues to be a challenge uh, to bring funding to the table because, you know, people assume you have $40 million dedicated towards affordable housing. That's that's awesome. And we know, you know, again, even just based on the assessment, the challenge is really in the billions when we look at what it's going to take to fill that gap and create the number of units needed. Are you talking about in Omaha? In the greater Omaha area. In greater Omaha yeah. area, billions. So, and that's over a 20-year period, right? But it's one of the reasons we created a revolving loan fund is that you can use those funds over and over and over again. Um, but the just the sheer <laughs> breadth of the problem and the need for everyone to come to the table. We need everybody. We need just our, our neighbors to come to the table and to be calling their elected officials and saying, this is important to me. Uh, we need grassroots efforts to support good housing policy. Uh, we need all of our nonprofit partners. We need our corporate partners and our, especially our banking partners. Um, and we need continued support from foundation. So we're asking for a lot because the problem is so great. And, and it, it is challenging sometimes to juggle all of those things. But what we vision if we're successful is a more connected community and, and working together towards solutions in a way that is uh, innovative, human-centered, in a way where we're taking care of each other. And, and again, that, that narrative of who's our neighbor and there's, an, there's enough. We have a really generous community. And so working in a way that where we are acting on that uh, belief that housing is a human right. Okay, so for folks at home who are, who are thinking, you know, I would, what I can do today is I can call my representatives. Mm -hmm. What is kind of a sample script they could say? Is there anything specific sure. right now that a specific ask? If it was as simple as affordable housing matters to me and I want you to support policies that support affordable housing, that would be great as a start. If we wanted to get in more depth, I would, again, encourage them to go to frontporchinvestments.org. We have a, a reading list if you want to get more knowledge around the topic of affordable housing. If you want to look at the housing ecosystem map and you can figure out which parts of it are most important to you, just making that email or phone call to say, hey, this matters to me. I want everyone, I believe everyone deserves affordable and safe housing in our community. Let's let's work on this together. That's a that's a great start. I know we have some scripts that also I could email to you. Oh, awesome. <laughs> you got me on the spot. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, the resources part is something that I really, really value about your organization because I think that to have it all condensed into one spot so we don't mm -hmm. have to go out and do the research to find this. I mean, a glossary, a reading list, a script, all on frontporchinvestments.org. Org? Yes, from forgeinvestments.org. I am curious, you talked about um, bank partners, and I know historically banks in the past have mm -hmm. it, have had unfair lending mm -hmm. to black and brown people. So I'm curious what that relationship has been like for you guys mm -hmm. in addressing that and creating bank partners moving forward. 
we are just starting to establish our relationships with banking partners. But, you know, I think, again, when we acknowledge our history, it's a really great opportunity to do the right thing and move forward in solutions. And the Community Reinvestment Act is a federally established act that requires banks to lend in, in communities where they formerly did not is a place to start. But I think we can we can go further, you know. And so, again, always looking for innovation at Front Porch. Uh, we've been in, in initial conversations with several banking partners about different types of supporting relationships. We've already partnered with some banking partners to be able to even provide technical assistance to uh, new developers, right, emerging developers on getting a performa ready for a loan application. So, you know, banking partners are coming to the table in unique ways, but we believe that we can come together and really fund um, more innovative solutions in our community as well. And uh, we hope to see a lot of those banking partners at the table in our green lining fund. So I put out an ask on Twitter. I know here at Riverside Chats, we have a call in to to leave comments or questions about topics we've talked about in the past, but I wanted to kind of get ahead of the curve. And I always love to get input from uh, the, my community on what they're interested in, what kind of questions, because I think we all come from different points of view, different walks of life. And so I believe my tweet said something like, Omaha, if you had the chance to ask an affordable housing expert a question, what would it be? Uh-oh. Expert. Well, I'll do my best to answer it. But at Front Porch, we all also always uh, say, if I don't know, I'll get back to you. So I Find promise out. to do my best if I can't answer it uh, to follow up. That's awesome. We appreciate that. Okay, so the first one is from Riley. What have you seen as the most effective and sustainable approaches to affordable housing in the last decade? Uh, well, I hate to toot our own horn at Front Porch. Toot it. <laughs> but I will say, again, being able to braid funding sources. So... Um, an example uh, is our partnership with the city of Omaha. So the city of Omaha awarded us with $20 million of American Rescue Plan Act funding, and we brought $20 million of philanthropic funding to the table uh, to match that. And so when we braid those types of funding um, opportunities, we're able to be flexible with the private dollars in ways we can't be with the federal dollars, uh, and it really allows it to go further and in ways that are more effective. Um, so. Again, the revolving loan fund, I think, is a, a sustainable investment, which R- Riley also asked about. And, yeah. and that revolving nature of the fund uh, really allows us to then also support grant making. Awesome. Next question is from Amanda. Why is it hard to change vacant offices to free housing for houseless people? It's a great question. Um, you know, again, I think we can. <laughs> I think... Uh, we can give an example from Front Porch. Uh, we partnered in 2021 um, to purchase a hotel. Um, we have a partnership with Together Inc. Um, and that hotel now serves as a non-congregate shelter. So that's an emergency housing solution for folks mostly that are over 65 or are medically fragile. So it's a great way um, to help support those folks in the midst of a pandemic. Oh, wow. Uh, so that they have a place that they can close the door and c- kind of call their own home and have a space. And that's, again, one of those human-centered solutions that had been done other places, and we were able to bring that to Omaha. And it's we're seeing that because of the uh, case management to, to really client ratio, 
uh, folks are being served more quickly, they're exiting um, to stable housing more quickly, and they're not returning to the homeless services system once they exit because they were given the supports that they needed. So wow. we, we can do that work here in Omaha. We just, again, it's a matter of prioritizing those needs, but it's also still requires um, support once folks get into a unit, right, that is dedicated and affordable or a temporary housing unit. Um, it's going to require some subsidy and support. So uh, it has in the past general generally been the lack of funding. And again, that's what we're hoping to bring to the table. Another question was, what do you suggest for a city where the mayor and the city council are intertwined with the demands of private land developers? Again, this came from Twitter. Okay. I can speak to the private developer side of that question and and remind uh, listeners that, as we talked about earlier, for-profit developers are also part of the solution to affordable housing. Um, so I think supporting those developers in creating affordable units and, and creating requirements um, for those units when uh, we provide funding is, is an important part of how we can collaborate together with for-profit developers. I hopefully answered their question, but I, I do think that we can't leave a certain sector out. It's about all of us saying in all new construction, it would be great if we have affordable housing and we can get to that that point in our in our city. I really believe we can with policy and best practice. From Ryan, to what extent are the problems of Omaha's rental market unique to Omaha? Good question. I, I will say that we are seeing in Omaha, again, what we've seen across the country. I, I like to say when we're in the, the heartland, it, it allows us to kind of look at the coast and know what's going to ripple in. And we knew this was coming, right? Um, so I don't know that our, our rental situation is unique. Um, we have renters that are really housing, housing burdens, so they're paying way more than 30% often of their income to their, their rent. Uh, and so that challenge is is not unique to us, but I do think because we're a generous community, because we're a community that's so connected and can work together, um, we can ad- we can address those issues. Maybe we'll, we'll come up with some solutions that other communities haven't yet. So that's my hope for us. Uh, so this question is from Barbara. What is incentivizing the building of expensive housing in West Omaha while the city center and east goes without reasonably priced housing? How can we avoid becoming a ring city with a destabilized, hollowed-out core? Well, again, this question I probably would take me more than a couple minutes to answer. Um, but, you know, one thing I can tell you about uh, the challenges of our community, and again, this is um, adding on to our conversation earlier about redlining, it really impacts valuation. So if you think about Maria, when we build a house, let's say on an average, it costs about $300,000 to build a home, no matter where you build it, right? Same house. Same house if you build it east of 42nd Street or if you're going to build it west of 120th Street. When you build that house in some areas east of 42nd Street, due to redlining and lower valuations in those areas, that house is going to value at, let's say, $160,000. So you're already upside down $140,000 when you build that house. And if you build that same house west of 120th Street, that house most likely is going to value at $400,000. And so this is why it's really important that we're creating programs and that we're funding and investing in affordable housing so that we have it across our community 
so that people have an opportunity to live near where they work, near where their kids go to school, that we have the ability to really see affordable housing everywhere so so that we aren't necessarily just focused on one area of a community or another. So I, I absolutely agree with Barbara. We don't want a ring city. Um, and there are challenges based on costs and, and the way we develop now. Um, and we have to continue to get more innovative. And we have to also, I'll say the one other, one other thing to note is that we see a lot of nimbyism in certain parts of our community that we don't see in others. So what's nimbyism for people who don't know? It means not in my backyard. Um, and it's often the folks that come out against affordable housing development. Uh, we currently have uh, an ordinance in our city, or, or we have there is a Sydney ordinance that requires affordable housing developers who have more than 10% of the units that they're developing that are affordable to have additional meetings um, that are public meetings and gathering input. And guess who guess who comes at those meetings? Right. It's not folks that are in support of affordable housing. And so that's another way listeners can get involved is, is really to to go and support affordable housing development, um, because uh, we, we don't want to put more challenges in the way for folks. And, and we want uh, to see affordable housing developed across the community. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you. For folks who have more questions or want to follow what you guys are doing, um, where can people find out more about you? frontporchinvestments.org for sure. Check out our website. And there's also a newsletter that you can sign up for. We send out updates on a monthly basis. Awesome. And are you guys on socials? We are. And all of the links to those are probably <laughs> Front Porch Investments. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I love chatting with you about a topic that is so important for our community and our neighbors. Um, so thank you so much for being here with me. It was great to see you again. And for, thank you for the conversation. Riverside Chats was created by Tom Noblock and is a production of 91.5 KIOS Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. I'm Maria Corpus.